Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. So they say hearts are a flutter this time of year. So show your breeding program some love with Embark, creator of the most scientifically advanced dog DNA test on the market with its specialized testing just for you. The Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kit is an essential tool if you're planning your next litter or just finished your foundation bitch and you want the best for your breeding program. The Embark Dog DNA Kit not only tests for breed-relevant genetic health conditions for your purebred dogs, but it tests for traits like coat color and body size and genetic diversity using COI. After you receive your results, you will find an easy-to-download OFA submission report in your online profile. Very cool. Find out why responsible breeders trust Embark to enhance their breeding program. Right now, you can save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit. Just visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK to enjoy $20 off each Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit in your order. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I've got a really important topic for us today, you guys. We've all been hearing about, talking about, cussing and discussing sometimes the situation in Europe, actually. It started a couple of years ago with the Dutch Pug Club banning, say that 10 times fast, the Dutch Pug Club banning, outright banning the breeding of pugs unless they're crossbred. And it has continued to today, very recently, with the Norwegian Kennel Club losing a lawsuit, a legal filing that makes the breeding of Cavalier King Charles Spaniels and Bulldogs illegal unless they're crossbred. And this impacts all of us. I know you might not think it does, but it does. And our guest today is Dr. Marianne Mack. She is a veterinarian. She is a breeder of Boston Terriers and Pug Dogs. And she's got some very interesting insight on this. So I'm excited and I'm super excited to have Marianne here with us. So welcome, Marianne. Thank you. How you doing? Good. How are you? Excellent. So this is a big topic. And in order to get our heads around it, I would like if you could offer our audience just a little bit of 411, your background, and help us understand why you are such an invaluable resource to talk about this. Okay. So I've been in purebred dogs basically my whole life, more as sort of a secondary part to having horses. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of agility and obedience and got into confirmation actually with Labradors and Australian Shepherds. And then I wanted something kind of smaller more companion bred, less hair, less energy, um, a little bit lower maintenance for when I was going to vet school. And so I got a Boston Terrier Mm -hmm. and I said, I will only ever have one Boston Terrier. And that lasted all of a year. And I now have, I don't know how many Boston Terriers and breed them as well as getting very much in love with pug dogs. 
I don't have as many pug dogs, but still love them. Pug dogs, you know, my association and adoringness for pug dogs. So that's go pug dogs. (laughs) (laughs) They are pretty hard to resist. Yes. So I went to vet school because I love purebred dogs and I love their role as companions. And I wanted to go to vet school really to focus on that role of the dog in our life. And I love cats too. I have purebred cats, also brachycephalic. Perfect. (laughs) But just really wanting to work with people and their pets and breeders as well to just make healthier companions for all of us. And, you know, everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I think that healthy companions is an incredible job to have creating those for people. We know that the United States alone, people are looking for something like 9 million replacement dogs a year. Having those be healthy is really amazing and important. But here's an important piece of that. Just simply being brachycephalic does not make them unhealthy. Exactly. So I think that the fact that a lot of these groups have started to associate having a short face with being unhealthy is a really slippery slope that we don't want to go down. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of components of brachycephalic airway syndrome. So those are stenotic nares or really tight nostrils, mm-hmm. an elongated soft palate, and a hypoplastic trachea. Those are sort of the three main issues that you see with brachycephalic airway syndrome. And then those things lead to other problems like the laryngeal saccules come out and you have a lot of swelling in your larynx and you can have tracheal collapse. So those are all progressive issues, but we don't have any studies showing those are directly related to the length of the nose. And that's what I was really super excited to have you talk about is what you have information wise as a veterinarian that you can offer our listeners to talk about what we actually know about brachycephalic breeds and that it's the width of the skull in comparison to the length of the muzzle, not just the length of the muzzle, all of those sorts of things. And talking about specifics about brachycephalic, a short nose does not mean you are automatically unhealthy. Yeah. So I think the components that we really have to look for that we know make the biggest difference in these dogs is the elongated soft palate, which is probably the biggest one. I've even run into that with pugs. So yeah. And in combination with that, you can get a thick tongue. Mm -hmm. So a bigger tongue than most dogs would have. And basically just a smaller airway. Mm -hmm. And that's not related to how long your nose is. So that's related to different genes that are writing for the length of your soft palate. And we see long soft palates in dogs with long noses. Yes. You know, we see this in Labradors. We see this in mixed breed dogs. So it's not only a brachycephalic issue. So I think it's really important to note that, that these things can occur in any breed of dog. And they do happen to occur more in brachycephalic dogs, but we don't have concrete evidence that it's directly related to the length of the nose. Right. And talk to us about, there's no exact test For a long soft palate, it's not like OFA has a database for this dog has a long soft palate, although it would be amazing. But it is something that's pretty identifiable. You as a veterinarian can diagnose it. And then we can remove that from our breeding program. I just did it. I had a bitch with a long soft palate surgery and I was like, that's it. I took her out of the program. Yeah. So I think one of the things to think about is that a lot of our OFA testing or the tests required for our chick titles are based on things that are pretty easy to measure. 
So it's easy to tell if a dog has luxating patellas and it's a little bit harder to say, how does this dog breathe when it's calm, when it's stressed after it's exercised? And there are countries and there's companies and hospitals that are kind of quantifying that, that I think is a direction we probably need to go. So the University of Cambridge has a whole brachycephalic. That BOA study, right? Yeah. Yes. And I think that's something that we really should look into doing here where these dogs, there's two different parts of the study. So the first one, they're put in a chamber that measures them and how much air they're bringing in, how hard they're working to breathe. It sort of measures all the pressure, the oxygen, the carbon dioxide levels, and gives us a good information about this dog at rest and how they're moving air. And then they do a test where they evaluate the dog at rest how it's breathing, does it make any noise, is it having increased effort, is it panting, and then they make the dog do light exercise for three minutes and repeat that evaluation. And that is pretty exact for predicting how affected this dog is by brachycephalic airway syndrome. And they grade these dogs on a scale based on their results. Okay. So that's where you get a concrete number. I love that. And that is something that's being developed currently. Is that my understanding? Yep. They're working on that currently. They're asking for dogs for their study. And part of their work there is to decide which dogs are good candidates for airway surgery, not so much for breeding purposes, but I think it's something that could be adapted for breeding purposes. Right. I mean, to me, that seems super, super useful. Yeah. And then when we talk about brachycephalic breeds, truly and honestly, I think it is so, and it just has to me, come out of nowhere. I mean, pugs have always been like the most popular thing, Frenchies, Bulldogs, Bostons. I mean, who doesn't love that swishy little face, right? And certainly there are people who don't, but it is an active campaign, it feels like, from people who would like to see every dog look like your average dingo. Right. And I think with these dogs, Most brachycephalic breeds, with the exception of some of the more mastiff type brachycephalic Mm -hmm. breeds, Mm -hmm. these dogs were bred to be companions and that's their job. And they do that very, very, very well. And part of the reason we love them so much is that these brachycephalic facial features elicit almost an infantile like response to people, which I mean, I can't help it. I'm the same way. I see these little faces and you just can't help it. So I think that focusing on the fact that these are companion dogs. These dogs are not out flushing birds. They're not working dogs. They are meant to make people happy, sit on your lap. I absolutely believe that they should be able to do things like go on a little hike or mine dogs hang out in the barn and they do dog things and they should absolutely be able to do that and be able to breathe while they do that. But this is not a dog that's out herding sheep in the summer. So I think keeping that in perspective is really important. And this goes to another sort of pure dog talk truism, which is that every single breed was created at a specific place by a specific people to do a specific thing. And we'll take pug dogs, an ancient breed shown on pottery dating back to before Christ. Yeah. They look just like that. The little Mm -hmm. faces, right? And they were bred literally to sit on your lap. They were not chasing down gazelles in the Sahara. No, they are ornamental. (laughs) They were absolutely ornamental. And I don't believe that it is something that we have to do to have healthy dogs to insist that every dog look the same. Exactly. 
I see this all the time with my clients. I always want my clients to have a dog that is suitable for their lifestyle. And for some people, that might be a German Shepherd. It might be a Labrador. It might be a Border Collie. But for a lot of people, they really need a companion dog that is bred to be a companion. And for those people, a brachycephalic dog is a really good fit. They're not out running and and doing all kinds of vigorous. Okay, now wait a minute. I've had a few pugs that like... (laughs) We're escape artists, so I'm yes. saying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and my dogs love to go on hikes, but what I love oh, yeah. about them is that they don't need to. Right. So when I had Australian Shepherds, they needed to do things every day. But with these Bostons and the pugs, if you don't feel well for a week, they're totally happy to just veg on the couch with you. Usually on your head. The pug dogs like to be on your head. Is that it? <laughs> yes. Okay. So I think the important part I wanted to bring forward using your absolute specific knowledge. I mean, you bred the number one Boston a couple of years ago. Yes. 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 Okay. So you have in-depth knowledge of breeding and whelping brachycephalic breeds, as well as veterinary education. And all of these things tell you the same thing. Brachycephalic is not what is causing your dog to have a problem. Right. Okay. So outlawing brachycephalic dogs simply because they happen to have a brachycephalic skull construction seems rather counterproductive. Yes. That's definitely not the direction we need to go. I think we need to focus as preservation breeders on doing a little bit of a better job on selecting breeding stock and producing healthier versions of every breed, honestly, but Mm -hmm. for brachycephalic specifically. And we all know that there are some dogs out there that are not good breeders and Mm -hmm. that happens. And Mm -hmm. I think the hard part as a breeder is to say, okay, this dog might be beautiful. This dog might have a great top line and this has great movement, but he cannot breathe. And I should probably put him in a companion home where he won't be bred. And that's a really, really hard decision to make. But I think as we move forward, especially in this new culture and climate, we have to make more of those decisions. And I feel very strongly about it. It was actually the reason I placed that particularly. It was a black bitch. It was down from my foundation. Pug dog, like, I'm not a pug breeder, like, you know, super famous, but this was very sentimental and placing her was hard, but she was a terrible breather. Like, I can't breed from this. I just can't. No, I think we have a responsibility to the pet public to make those choices as well. For me, especially as a veterinarian, I actually have taken a step back from breeding pugs while I'm trying to find some better breathing dogs to work with, because especially as a veterinarian, I can't put dogs in homes that can't breathe. It's just non-negotiable. So that focus needs to be there. Yeah. And we don't see it as much in the Bostons, but if we do hear a Boston that makes noise, that's something that should not continue. Right. And I think this is a, I'm not going to say wake up call, but it is. It's pay attention, people. You know, don't breed to a ribbon, breed to something that can breathe. Exactly. And I do think if some of the health committees of the parent clubs can get together and try to figure out, can we work? to find a way to have a BOAS scoring system that we maybe incorporate with our chick requirements, as opposed to some of the other chick requirements that might not be exactly accurate, like hips and pugs. Right. (laughs) I just did my bitch's hips, my current fond bitch. I'm like, hey, she might make it to fair. Right. Right. (laughs) Yay. And those are adjustments we need to make as breeds evolve and as we find new health issues. A lot of these things we didn't have tests for years ago, and they're so brand new that we are able to do a lot of the DNA tests for issues like this. And we don't have markers for a lot of things, but as we find them, we need to adapt and incorporate that into our breeding decisions. And I guess that to me is the additional 
piece that the European situations have brought to the forefront for me is that we as breeders are doing this work now. And the preservation breeders are making the best dogs that we can, whether it's here or it's in Europe. And particularly this Norwegian decision makes it so the only people that can legally breed these dogs, whether it's Cavaliers or Bulldogs, are the European version of our backyard breeders, people that aren't honor bound to follow a system. Right. And that's a scary thought. (laughs) Exactly. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion cares passionately about pets and makes sure their policy has what it takes to serve you and your furry companions. In fact, they are the first pet insurance provider to cover certain health conditions associated with breeding animals through their specialized breeding rider. Their industry-leading coverage does not stop there. Trupanion's free breeder support program also allows you to send your litters home protected with an offer for a Trupanion policy. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. So the other piece of this decision that I wanted to have you touch on, because to me, it's the even more terrifying, like I get a little cranky about people going for brackies, but this one really scares me, is that this particular Norwegian decision involved Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, not because they were brachycephalic, but because they generically or generally had a number of health issues and were considered, quote unquote, unhealthy. Yes, I think the decision was based on the fact that they basically looked at Cavaliers and said, there's just too many things. And so there can be no more Cavaliers bred this way. And that is where we all need to pay attention, because if they can say that for that breed, they can say that about breeds that have a lot of cancer or epilepsy or heart disease. And every purebred dog is going to have genetic disease. Every animal on this planet will have some component of genetic disease. Let's talk about people. Yes, people. People are not inbred. They're very randomly bred. And yet. We have disease. Exactly. Yes. And there are some diseases that are easy to test for. And Mm -hmm. we have genetic markers for them. And they're very easy to eliminate from a breeding program. Then there's others that are more of a gray area that we need to find better ways to figure out how these are inherited and how we work with them while still preserving the breed. Right. And once again, preserving the type, the quality, the historic purpose, the reliability of a purebred dog. Yes. The reliability of a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel is it's going to be pretty and it's going to have a great face and it's going to have these pretty markings. And I mean, this is reliably what it looks like. And that is where purebred dogs are important, not just in terms of living history. But also in terms of if I'm 80 years old and I want a pet, I know that this Cavalier is going to be a pet that will suit what I in my 80-year-old self need versus whatever random dog shows up on the doorstep. Yeah, the suitability of the breed for the person is just so important. You know, when I'm a little old lady, I want to be surrounded by Pekingese. That's my thing. And I think they're going to be my perfect old lady dog because they're just lovely. 
Everybody has an old lady dog, right? I know. Mine is Border Terriers. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we also have to educate the public when they make these decisions. Right. And it's going to be hard to say, okay, get a Cavalier if all the Cavaliers are now crossbred. And we can't say, oh, well, your Cavalier is going to do this and this if we don't have the reliability of knowing that. Right. And, you know, I thought it was very interesting. I was having a social media conversation. I'd love to have you pipe in on this. And I said, inbreeding, outcrossing, line breeding, all of these things have different goals and purposes. And if you are breeding on healthy genes, even relatively tightly on healthy genes, you're breeding on healthy genes. You are just simply breeding a half-brother, half-sister is not going to randomly create a new gene. It might pop something that you didn't know is there, but it didn't create a new gene. No, no, it will definitely, if there's recessives hiding in there that you don't know about, you might see them. Yep. And I do a lot of line breeding. I do a mm -hmm. lot of close breeding and I don't see more health problems as long as the parents themselves are healthy dogs. Well, the parents and that whole vertical pedigree. You know what's back there. You know also laterally what there is. Did Correct. the sister have this? Did Correct. the brother have this? And did they produce something that looked like that? Right. The right. only issue I've seen with blind breeding sometimes is you get really, really pretty puppies that got all the good stuff and you get some that got all the bad stuff. All so the bad stuff. <laughs> well, and being aware and responsible about that. If it has all the bad stuff, okay, then perhaps that needs to be your responsibility. Yes. And that is huge, I think, as a breeder, is if you produce a dog that has health issues that are going to limit its life in a companion home, we are obligated to either keep that dog or place it with someone who really understands that and then be there for its whole life. Right. And if that means that you have to financially support them while they take care of that dog, I think that's a thing. Yeah, I absolutely think that's a thing. And I've done that as a veterinarian. I mm -hmm. produced a dog with a sternal deformity and mm -hmm. I placed him in a wonderful home and said, if anything comes up related to this deformity, I will pay for it for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And he's been fine and they love him and it's great. But it's my obligation as someone that put that dog here to stand behind him forever. You know, when we talk about seeing a breed banned, if you will, or the breeding of a breed banned due to health problems, to me, that is a siren screaming that we need to pay attention to because pick any breed you want to pick, Goldens, Dobermans, Bernie's Mountain Dogs, Flatcoats, you know, breeds with diseases that cannot be a quick embark test, right? I mean, it's not a cheek swab that's going to solve these problems. And so I think we need to be aware of that and not cheering on the attack on purebred dogs. And we as preservation breeders are actually the solution. That's my belief is we are the solution to this problem. If we work together to breed healthier dogs, and if we work together to breed more of these dogs, yes. I can't tell you how many of my clients come in with a puppy mill puppy. And they said, well, Dr. Mack, you told us some great breeders, but we didn't want to wait for three years. So we ordered this one online and picked it up at the airport. And here he is. And it breaks my heart because we as preservation breeders, if we had more available dogs that were well-bred, people would buy them and they yeah. would love them. And vilifying people that breed more than one to two litters a year or whatever number you've decided is too many, I think is detrimental to all of us. And that point right there, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I really think 
we within the dog community are so often our own worst enemies and I'm doing it right. and Everybody else is doing it wrong is not the answer here. No, it's not working. It's definitely not working. And so supporting everyone's right to breed dogs, encouraging people to breed dogs responsibly, educating breeders and buyers about what a responsible breeder looks like. And I agree with you, more good purebred dogs, not less. Exactly. Or other people are going to breed dogs and they're going to do it in a way that we don't agree with. And I mentioned at the top of the show, 9 million dogs a year. That's a lot of dogs. A lot of dogs. Somebody's filling that need, whether they're importing unhealthy dogs from overseas and spreading disease here in the U.S., whether they're breeding backyard, not as responsibly bred dogs, whether they're breeding them commercially, which again, okay, but somebody's going to fill that niche. Yes. So I think that your point of us doing it, more of it and more responsibly is absolutely the right answer. (laughs) Right. And I think it gives less ammunition to the people that want to ban certain breeds if they say, oh, well, they're doing so much health testing and they're making good decisions and they're breeding healthier dogs. And maybe that's actually the solution and not banning breeding of certain breeds or breeding of all dogs, which I think some organizations want to do. Well, we know some organizations do, unfortunately. And I think that takes us to another point that I think is really important for people to hear and understand. And that is that this is a topic you've spoken on previously, whether it's on social media or what have you. And I think dating back to the Dutch pug club Mm -hmm. situation and that you have personally received pretty unpleasant blowback from the people who would like to see no more dogs bred or what have you. Mm -hmm. So when I first posted a statement in the beginning of 2020, I think it was before the pandemic, basically saying I'm a veterinarian, I breed these dogs and it can be done right. These dogs are not inherently unhealthy. I received enormous backlash from, I don't know how many of them would consider themselves animal rights activists, but basically saying this veterinarian shouldn't be a veterinarian. How can any veterinarian promote the breeding of brachycephalic dogs? And it went so far as to contact my place of work, contacting me personally. I had to take my website down. I had to make everything private. I had to tell people who had wanted me to be an advocate for this. I can't do it right now because Mm -hmm. they're coming for me. And it went so far as to post pictures of dogs that absolutely I'm so proud of as a breeder because they're healthy. And one of them was my dog, Veronica, who could show in a group ring in 98 degrees and never once panted. If I put a cool coat on her, she shivers Mm -hmm. and saying, how can she breed this dog? Her nostrils look tight and I'm sure she can't breathe. And that really hurt me. And I took that personally because I work so hard to make dogs that can breathe and are healthy. And the fact that they would come at me for that was really scary. So I had to kind of back off on that. And about, I would say a month ago or so, a couple people alerted me and said, oh, hey, they're coming for you again. (laughs) And they had posted another picture of one of my dogs on their Facebook page and told people to go to my Instagram and look at my dogs and how could I be breeding these dogs and how can I be a veterinarian and someone needs to do something about that. And even suggesting that they contact the professional license organization and tell them I'm breeding brachycephalic dogs. So then I had to take down my Instagram. So it's not been 
easy to be an advocate for this. And that's really hard, but it's really important to me that I do that. And I really appreciate you taking the time and making the stand to come here and talk to me about it because I am sure that we will both hear about it. But oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I do agree with you. There are certain things that are worth standing for what is right mm-hmm. and educating people as to what is actually truth and what is actually fiction. And that can be sometimes these days a fine line. <laughs> yeah, very fine line. I do feel in the veterinary community, we have a little bit of backlash. I get backlash. Like, how can you breed these dogs? Look at them. And how do you love them so much? But oftentimes these people, once they meet my dogs and realize, oh, they can breathe and they're healthy and they look great. They realize that we see a disproportionate number of unhealthy dogs just by the nature of being veterinarians. And I've actually done a little self-study where a dog comes to see me and I always find out where the dog came from. And then I make a note, what issues does this dog have? And I will say about 95% of brachycephalic dogs I see that are bad breathers are from a pet store, a puppy mill, or rescue. And that is just the fact that I've gotten over six years of being a veterinarian, that these dogs are often the ones that they ordered online. When I talk to people about brachycephalic and I did some advocating in another organization for a while and stuff like that. And what I tell people is that breeding dogs is difficult. Breeding dogs responsibly is really difficult. Breeding brachycephalic breeds responsibly is very difficult. And so for me, rather than vilify the people that are doing it right, these are the ones that should be held up on a silver platter because you just have less room to make mistakes. Yes. They are more demanding. And if you're not careful, you will have a problem. Mm -hmm. And that is the part that really, really upsets me about this because the people who are doing it to the very best of their ability and the most carefully are the ones that people are coming for, not the ones that are over here cranking them out a dime a dozen, Brindle, Piebald, Merle, whatever, ridiculous crossbred, not really Mm -hmm. a pug they can come up with. Right. Yeah. I personally did a health check on a litter of backyard bred pugs. She got one from the pet store. She got the other from the pet store. She let them loose in the yard. They had six puppies. Imagine that. (laughs) Imagine that, right? We do so much work and we get zero puppies. Mm. And not a single puppy had a patella that was good and not a single puppy had a nostril that was open. And it didn't matter because they were all going to friends and family and they didn't really mind. But to me, that was a failing. It was a failing. And they were adorable puppies. All puppies are cute. Puppies are cute. Great little temperaments. But I had to tell every single one of them that these dogs are probably going to need airway surgery and their Mm -hmm. patellas are never going to be in where they should be. Mm -hmm. And that's disappointing to me. And yet the veterinarians will see that and say, oh, it's purebred. It's brachycephalic. They all need to be banned instead of understanding the full scope of the situation. Understanding where they came from and that a preservation breeder is actually the solution. Yes. And there are solutions and there are people who are actively seeking them that don't need to have a gun put to their head in order to do it. Right. Metaphorically speaking. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope. Please. For me, I think that that's really the wrap up is your answer. Breed them better, breed more better. And my pitch is support one another's right to do a good job at what you're doing. And talk about it. We need to talk about it. We need to say... 
just so you know, the dog that's related to your dog did have a long soft palate and I am not going to breed her. And maybe you just need to keep an eye out if you have dogs closely related to her that you don't Mm -hmm. maybe breed one with a long soft palate. Instead of making it so secretive, I think we need to be open about it with each other so we can make better decisions. Yeah. Just like things with epilepsy, with breeds that have had that, having the epigenes database for Australian shepherds made a huge difference. And so having something like that where breeders work together to find a way to know where these issues are and how can we breed away from them. And, you know, one of the clubs that I am most impressed by, frankly, is the Bulldog Club of America. Yes. They're, what do they call it? They're champions of health or something. They have a whole program designed to encourage and reward and support breeders who are producing dogs that pass all these health clearances. That to me is a perfect example. And I had for people, I'll put a link in the blog post. I had a great interview with a bulldog friend of mine, Jay Sarian, talking about this exact program and how important it is. Yes. And I think that the future is going to be having a Boaz scoring system as a component of this. And I know that there's resistance to saying, oh, well, we don't want to have to do one more test. And I don't think that it's that you have to do this to get a permit to breed your dog. It's that if you want to do this responsibly and you want to say that you're taking a stand on doing a better job, then this is an option for you to do Boaz scoring on your dog and use that to inform your decisions. That doesn't mean that every dog that has a mild component of brachycephalic airway syndrome doesn't need to be bred. It means it needs to be bred to a dog that is a really, really good breather. And you just touched on something that I think is so important across the board. And that is that (laughs) health testing is a tool. Yes. I watched this happen in Clumber Spaniels. There was a big push when we got our first one in the 80s. Every Clumber Spaniel known to man was dysplastic. I mean, they just, most of them still are. They're functionally dysplastic. They have hips that look like they shouldn't walk and they jump in the back of a pickup truck. Right. It's a thing. But they went through a big, big thing. They were going to get better hips, get better hips. And so many of the dogs that they wound up with in this process looked like bad English setters. Mm -hmm. And so there is a line between type, soundness, health, all of those things. I mean, even the dogs that I've had over the years that had long, soft palates, that didn't kill them. (laughs) And with that, with considering type is where we need to be cautious that we're not losing type by trying to eliminate a problem because length of nose does not directly correlate with these problems. Yes, brachycephalic dogs have a higher incidence of these problems, but I see many backyard bred dogs with longer snouts that are the worst breathers. So I think we need to stay true to type, like you said, and make these decisions based on the individual dog and all of the assets that dog has. And there is a hard line for some issues. If the dog can't breathe and it can't live a normal life, then that dog should not be bred. Exactly right. But I think that we get so wrapped up in so many things and it can be daunting. And I think that big picture, make good decisions, make smart decisions, make Make decisions, decisions. informed decisions. There you go. Informed, smart, good decisions. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think that it's easy to get caught up in the madness, if you will. And I think finding that balance and finding a way to produce happy, healthy companions for everybody, you know, maybe preservation breeders aren't going to be able to crank out 9 million, but it'd sure be nice if we could get up above 100,000, you know? Right. Right. (laughs) And give people a better place to go to find dogs. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right. Well, Marianne, thank you so much. And stay low, man. Thank you. (laughs) Don't let the turkeys get you down. I'll try. All right. You guys, I am so excited. I've been wanting to create a live call-in show forever. So finally, I decided to just do it. Dog shows, dog grooming, dog handling, dog breeding, you name it. Join the conversation live and get trusted answers to all of your questions. No more Facebook groups, no more 20,000 answers to the same question, just solid knowledge. Amazing. Start planning now. Visit the Pure Dog Talk Facebook page for a link to our YouTube live lightning round with Laura. Be on the lookout for live chat opportunities, special guests, they'll be a secret, live calls from the audience, and more. Let's kick off the new year in Pure Dog Talk style. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 